You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv. Can I tell you one thing? This is not a bad thing. Let, let me just, before I get into this, this is actually a good thing. When God confronts you, or me, right? He's actually saying, you don't have to live in deception anymore. You don't have to pretend. I'll use someone as an example. Sister Maciel came to me on Wednesday, or was Sunday, it was in the last week, and she said, I was reading, she's in the Old Testament, and God began to deal with her, uh, I think it was about complaining. And you know what her response was? Thank you, God. That is the correct response. Because God, as a father, assumes moral responsibility for us and wants to lead us and guide us and direct us. Not control us, not manipulate us, not oppress us, but to provide instruction, direction, identity, purpose, provision, protection. But it's, it, it's dependent upon us responding and participating because he's not a rapist. He doesn't force his way. He, he says stuff and it's possible, still it's possible to experience the Son of God walking on water, speaking to storms, raising the dead, healing the sick, and still choose 30 pieces of silver. It's still possible. It's still possible to go out and hang yourself. That's the end of shame, suicide. And God does not want that for us. But I want to say this. We have to be alert because 24-7 we're in a war. Right now, whether you believe it or not, we're in a war. There's a battle for the air. There's a battle for the hearts and minds. There's a battle for the souls of men. There's a battle for your future economically. There's a battle. It's not just happening in the Middle East. It's right here. I want to talk to you today. Now the message begins. Confrontation and healing. Now, today we're going to go through a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. This is like a novella. <laughs> Complacency. Temptation. Abuse. Sin, which is I made a mistake. Iniquity, totally different. I meant to do it. I like to do it. I planned on doing it, and I still plan on doing it. Sin stops you from knowing God. Iniquity stops God from knowing you. That's a whole different level. Deception. Sometimes withholding the truth is deception. Sometimes knowing the truth and not doing it is deception. Sometimes the pride of your own heart Obadiah 1.3 has deceived you. Pride, the nature of pride is that it's deceptive. It's a lie. Pride promises you'll rise and you're only going to fall. So, we, so there's pride. 
deception. Oh, the abuse of power. Murder. Cover-ups. Then it gets better. It starts with a confrontation. I'm going to touch on this today. Confession. Confession is verbally acknowledging you were wrong. Very important. Isaac did a great job, according to Sarah Lovecki, an excellent job. And it's on our YouTube channel. And she doesn't give compliments. Prayer. Praise. Healing. But healing after a process. After a process. That's what I want to touch on. Okay. Second uh, Samuel chapter uh, 11, verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So now the scripture is telling us that kings go to war in the spring. But David is staying in his palace. You're about to find out that the most dangerous place you can be is in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's safer to be in a furnace in Babylon in the right time. It's safer to be in a lion's den in Babylon than a palace in Jerusalem. So just because you think you're safe and you're isolated and you have money and you have power, just because you think you're safe, you're not safe. You're not safe. When you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you're out of season, you're vulnerable. Watch this. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. This word took is to capture. This is like human trafficking vibes. This is the man after God's own heart. This is the guy. This is the guy that the Bible only refers to two people as people of integrity. Job and David. This is the guy, the last revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation is the root and the offspring of David. This was a friend of God. This was a guy who built a 24-7 worship thing. And he removed the veil so the people could hear from God and could spend time in the presence of God. This is a man who brought back the ark. This is a man who loved God and loved the presence of God. And don't think because you love God and love the presence of God that you're not vulnerable and it can't happen to you. Because it can happen to you, it can happen to me, and it happened to him. So if you think that you can just stand and you can just do whatever you want because you have options now, you better watch out. You better watch out. Options are more dangerous than being broke. You learn how to pray when you're broke. I don't have time to search the web. I got no money. You're praying, crying out. <laughs> okay. All right. So David went and inquired. He inquired. He, he used to be inquiring of the Lord. Oh, you didn't remember that? When he was in a crisis... And they took his wives 
and he was in Ziklag, he took the breastplate of the priest and it says that he inquired of who? Of the Lord. Now, now look where the inquiry is going. Uh-oh. Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he, and, and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. In other words, she was done with her period. Just give you the, what's happening there. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing. Uh, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from his house and a gift of food from the king followed him. So now David is being deceptive and he's being disingenuous. He just banged the dude's wife and now he's giving him a gift. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go into his own house. He says that basically the men are out to war. It's wartime. It's not sex time. It's not feelings time. It's not connection time. It's not hey, vacation time. It's wartime. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. <laughs> Let's go into 10. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? He's trying to get him to go there so he can sleep with his wife so that he can have a way of escape. This is, a, this is deceptive. Instead of using his power to make something right, He's furthering this. Watch this. And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He understood it was not time for that. He understood the time of a collective moment. Not me, me, me. A collective moment. We are collectively doing something. Which means we should collectively be participating in what we're doing. That's a whole other message. We'll leave that alone. But there's, he understood the moment. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today. Also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the next day, until the next day. Uh, now when David called him, he ate and drunk before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go to his house. So now David tries again to get him drunk, so he'll go home. You see the iniquity building? You see it, you see it building? This is Mr. Man after God's own heart, Mr. Presence of the Lord, Mr. Worship Leader. And now you're using your power to abuse people. Oh, I don't need people. It's just me and Jesus. Oh, yeah? That's not working out for David. Fourteen, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He's sending him to his death 
by a letter with his own hand after he impregnated his wife. If this is not like, this is like a cartel vibe, this is, this is greasy. This is deep hood nasty. This is, this is foul. That is what happens when you lose the secret place. He lost the secret place, which means he lost the front lines. The most dangerous thing a man can do is lose the secret place and lose front lines. Because the secret place and front lines are things that keep you away from temptation. Now, you see that in Revelation uh, 2 and 3 where it says, You have lost your first love, and the antidote is returned to your first works. Because there is a connection to your first love and your first works. That's why I will never stop going to the nations. I don't care if I live in Little Ferry or I'm Brett's neighbor. I will never, ever, 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 as long as there's breath in my lungs, stop going to the nations. Amen. See, Amen. there's things that God has put in your life as safeguards to keep you on the rails. That's why it's not impressive when a broke person can seek the Lord. <laughs> it's impressive when a rich man goes to Haiti six times a year. That's impressive. It's, it's, it's not impressive when you have nothing and you do nothing and you be nothing and now you're seeking God. In the morning it happened. And he wrote in the letter, set Uriah in the forefront of the, of the hottest battle and retreat from him. Now, he's staging his death. This is a loyal and a faithful man, and he's getting played out by the person who's supposed to protect him because kings go out to battle in the spring, and kings are supposed to be the first ones to set it off like apostles. Apostles are the tip of the spear. They're the ones that set it off. They're the ones that start it. They're the foundation. They go first. They go when no one goes and they stay when everyone leaves. That's what a king is. That's what a king is. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to lead by example. You cannot lead in a palace. You go back to the palace. You thank God for a palace, but you can't lead from a palace. All right. So what's going to happen is he's going to die, all right? So he is going to actually get killed, and he's going to die. So what I'm going to do for the sake of respecting your life and my lunch, I'm going to move out of that chapter. But let, let me go back to, let me go to James for a second. Let, let me show you what happens with, with a human condition. In James, the first chapter, it says this. James 1. 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I forgive you, Brett. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So God is not setting you up to fail. God is not putting you in a bad situation so that you fail. That's not God. That's not your heavenly father. So don't blame God for stuff the devil does, and don't blame God for stuff you do. Often... We blame God for what we do and the devil for stuff we do. 
the devil's like, I'm not even here. I didn't, I didn't do that. Don't blame me. So, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, full grown, it gives birth to death. So sin, for a season, is pleasurable until it gives birth to death. Now you're going to see what happens in his family bloodline. You're going to see what happens in his generations. And you're going to see... That even though he responded to confrontation correctly, there was still consequences. Let me tell you something. Anyone who stands in a pulpit and tells you there's no consequences for sin is lying to you. They're disingenuous, they're misusing grace, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is, yes, you're forgiven. Yes, God loves you, but... If I go out and get a speeding ticket, I can repent and go, God, oh, I'm sorry. And God goes, okay, you're forgiven. No problem. But guess what? I owe the municipality $300, points, and I pay my insurance premium goes up. So just because you're forgiven does not mean there's not consequences. So anyone that preaches to you as if there's no consequences because you're forgiven is lying to you. And they're trying to make you feel good in your sins so they can manipulate you for money. This is not good. If you feel good in your sin, you can sit here. If you, don't want, if you want to keep sinning, you're not going to want to sit here. Because the last person that I would want to deal with is me. If I was continuing to sin. I wouldn't want to deal with me. I go to a nice little church where it's nice and dark. You go in there, everything's dark. Because I like darkness. So you go in there, yeah, smoke. Smoke and screens, baby. That's what I do. Boom. You get a sensory overload and never change. <laughs> Boom. Never change. You got a good sensory overload. You got a good vibe. This isn't a good vibe. <laughs> this is we're going to pimp smack the vibe with the truth so that we can change. Because our father loves us enough to, and cares for us enough to warn us and say, no, I don't want you to go over the edge. I love you. You bear my image. You're important to me. I'm not going to let you just, you know, kill yourself and hang yourself and destroy yourself. I love you. Think about how many times the mercy of God was crying out to Judas. Let's continue. 2 Samuel 12. Now, these are our scriptures for today. We're going to go through some scriptures. Not all the scriptures. Don't worry. People are sweating. The ticker says 3150. I'm trying for you. I do, I do love you. Just so you know. I do, I do love you. I'm not against you. I am one of your great advocates. You don't know it. Some of you don't believe it. Some of you do. All right. 2 Samuel 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh-oh. <laughs> Say the Lord. The Lord, the Lord sent Nathan. To David, the Lord. The Lord sends people right into a confrontation to warn them because he loves them. When the Lord sends someone to you, it's your job to discern, did the Lord send them? 
You, you need to discern, did the Lord send them? If you don't discern that, you're going to position yourself against the person who's really for you. Instead of being mad at your drug dealer or mad at someone who's calling you to try to come out and, and hang out and wild out, you're mad at me and I care more about you than, and your future than you do. And you're mad at me. Interesting how that works. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his own children. It ate food. Of his own, uh, it ate his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who was to come. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said, Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now, let me say one thing to you. Nathan is a prophet, and prophets handled judicial matters. They judged. In fact, we don't like this, but the Bible actually tells us to judge the house of God. And you know who we judge? We judge the world. And we want to come here and not be judged. But we want to judge the world. Actually, the Bible says judge the household of God. Actually. And there's people who are actually appointed to do that. I know people don't like that, but that's actually true. <laughs> that's actually New Testament Paul Bible. We want to judge the trans, the this, the that. But we don't want to judge ourselves. And those people don't need to be judged. They're already judging themselves. They need to be loved and told the truth. But we need to be judged so that we are righteous people so that we can actually help them. That's a whole, a whole other message, you know. But we'll just leave that alone, you know. And so now Nathan comes with a parable. But it's very probable that, that David could have actually thought that this is a legitimate case. So you know. So now, this parable, it flies under David's radar. Because it's not about a man sleeping with a dude's wife and killing the dude. It's not like that. He knows how to conceal the situation enough to activate his discernment and turn it against him. Why? Because he's really for him. So Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. You see, I, I, that's God, I. Sometimes we think it's we. I did this and I did that and I got this. And, oh, yeah? Look at God's perspective. That's not what God believed about the situation. 
And if that had been too little, now the prophet's sticking it in there a little on him, because that's what prophets do. If that wasn't enough, <laughs> I also would have given you much more. Say, I would have. I would. This transgression cost him things he would never know about. People do not anticipate the cost of iniquity. They don't know how much it will cost them and what they will not get as a result of their iniquity. I watch it. I've watched it for 20 years. I've watched it. People have no idea the decisions and the ramifications and what those decisions will cost them. But God in his word has revealed this to us so that we learn, Paul says, from their examples. In other words, learn what not to do. So if you see me burn my hand on the stove, why are you going to walk up to the stove and burn your hand? Do you want to have a scar on your hand? Because that's stupid. Learn from the mistakes of other people. Learn from the scripture. Learn from your own mistakes so that you don't have to be like a dog returning to its vomit. That's what the Bible says about a fool. A fool returns to his folly like a dog to his vomit. We go, oh, he's Johnny's addicted. No, Johnny's a fool and Johnny needs to repent because the wages of sin is death and death will take Johnny to hell. Right. And that's not where God has called Johnny. But if he doesn't return and he repent and restructure his life for accountability, he's going to return to the same mess. He's going to return to the same mess and it's going to be a cycle. Now, you're going to see the cycle in David's generations. You're going to see this open a can of worms for him. And he still responded to correction well. Imagine if he didn't respond to correction well. Imagine if he would have said, I'm the king, bro. I don't care if you're a prophet. You're getting executed. Nathan took a risk. Nathan loved, Nathan loved David more than his own life. More than his own job security. More than his own well-being. More than his own reputation. Na David could have had him killed in a moment. Like this, in a moment. David could have said, kill him. And he would have been the judge, jury, and executioner right there on the spot and left his dead body there. And no one say a word to him. So Nathan, there's a risk involved in Nathan confronting him. But see, Nathan was more concerned about what God is saying than how this guy feels. Now, watch this. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of, of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. We're still seeing it today. The sword shall never depart from you today. More than 2,000 years later, the sword has not departed. When Jesus the Messiah was born, Herod in the city of Bethlehem, which was the city of David, went to that city and with a sword killed all the baby boys, two years and under. The sword shall never depart from your house. People do not anticipate the consequences 
of their sin. And just because your sin is covered and forgiven, that does not mean there will not be consequences in this life. The Bible talks about a man who commits adultery. He, 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 the reproach among men is never wiped away. God forgives you. Yes, you can sin and God will say, okay, I forgive you. But with people, you will live with that reproach forever. They will always know you as the guy who did that. And it's not, it will not go away. You should have thought about that before you took your pants off. You should have thought about that. So now Nathan is confronting David. This is very important. Now the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. If you go into 2 Samuel 16, you will find that Absalom, his son, goes into his concubines. Which is Book of Corinthians vibes. Which is like Arkansas Trailer Park vibe. That's like banging your dad's girlfriend. You're a sick, sick, sick person. Even if she's hot and younger, you're sick. You're a gross person to do that. But see, that, but that's the spirit of Absalom. Absalom wants to take the throne. That's another spirit. Absalom thinks he's the rightful heir, but anyone who thinks they deserve an inheritance is not ready for an inheritance. That's the spirit of Absalom. That spirit goes in churches too. That's another message. Okay. Thus says the Lord, behold, I, I, say I. I. The, one who's, the one that was just fighting for him. The one that gave him the throne. The one that gave him a kingdom. I. God says, I will raise up adversity against you. Oh, that's not good. Listen. Let the whole world be against you. And God before you. Amen. You don't want... God against you. No, no, you don't listen. <laughs> you, you don't want that. You don't want your advocate to become your adversary. That's what pride does. For you did it secretly, but I will do it before all of Israel. Oh, you, you know about oh, you know about the secret place, Mr. David? Oh yeah, the one thing, one thing, God. Oh yeah, you oh yeah, you know about that. Oh yeah, that's okay. What you did secretly, I'm gonna put on the screen. Boom. You know why? Guess who David despised? The Lord. All sin and all iniquity is against God Himself because Jesus paid. The Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So sin is against God. So you're not just sinning against yourself. You're not, if you cheat on your wife, you're not just cheating on your wife. You're sinning against God. If you cheat on your husband, you're not just cheating. You're being unfaithful to God. That's, that's, that's the bigger issue. Now, let's continue. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't try to wiggle. Oh, man, you don't know what I was feeling. 
you know, I was feeling a certain type of way. You know, I was feeling lonely. You know, you don't know what I was going through. You know, I got some trauma from my past. I got a little sex addiction with excuses and crap and lies. He just said, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Now, you don't understand me. Oh, you're judging me. No, 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 no. You sinned and you despise the commandment of the Lord. This is personal to God. So now he says, uh-oh, I have sinned against the Lord. This is step one of confession. That's the proper response to confrontation. That was an offer. He got an offer. Esau didn't get that offer. When someone confronts you, who loves you, who cares enough to tell you the truth, don't stiff arm them. Because you're stiff arming God and you're robbing yourself. This is the, and Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. This is the forgiveness piece. This is, no, you're forgiven. You're still going to heaven when you die, pal. That's we're obsessed with that. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to get out of that. And we're obsessed with, with heaven, but nobody wants to die. Crowder said that. Anyway. All right. We're going to get out of that. Back out. 1726. All right. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child, also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Nathan didn't hug him. Didn't kiss him, didn't send him an email or a card. He said, the kid is going to die. The wages of sin are still death. In the new covenant, in the old covenant, the wages of sin is still death, and there's still repercussion for sin. Now, just because something bad has happened in your life, I'm not necessarily saying it's because you sinned. So I can't say that. That's an ignorant thing to say. But in this text and in this story, it's clear because it's coming out of the prophet's mouth very clearly. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Repentance involves worship. Worship is not singing God a song. Worship is the surrendering of our life to God. If he was worshiping, he wouldn't have been banging Bathsheba. If he was worshiping, and he was walking right with the Lord. He wouldn't have did that. If he was worshiping and submitted and surrendered to God, he would have been out fighting a battle. He would have had another victory under his belt. Instead, he has a major loss. 
And the loss is going to be felt for generations to come. And he was forgiven. This is, this is a very important thing. Let's continue. Then he went to the house of the Lord where he requested. They set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, Why is it that you have done? You have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the, whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her, and she bore him a son. And he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. Listen to this very, very carefully, this next verse, very carefully. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedediah, because of the Lord. Jedediah means beloved of Jah or beloved of God. Solomon is, is, is peaceful, it's, it's good, but it's, it's not as good as beloved of God. It's good, you know, prosperity, peace, but it's not really the main thing or the one thing. So now you have two names. You have Solomon. And you have Jedediah. But it seems that for the rest of his days, he's known as Solomon. And the name he should have embraced was Jedediah. I'm going to lead that there for a second. I'm going to let you think on that. Because sometimes you need to think, not just feel. Feel. Sometimes you need to cognitively process that there was an offer. Nathan sent a name. David gave a name. What is it that you believe? What you say or what God says? What is more important? What you say about someone or what God says about someone? I'm going to leave that there. The very next chapter. What, you know what's happening in the very next chapter? David's sons are sleeping with their sister. Perversion has no boundaries. It has no boundaries. Incest. Iniquity gave birth to incest. Death. Now, later, because we have to have some good news. <laughs> Everyone's like, I thought this was about healing. Like, <laughs> don't worry, we're going to get some healing. But you know, healing doesn't happen until repentance happens. Many people, I don't think they want to be healed. I don't think they want to be healed. Many people don't want to be healed because once they're healed, they got to be responsible. Yeah, they just know they want the benefits of being healed. They're not serious. Many people are not serious. They don't mean business with God. They're looking at God as a convenience. A vending machine. 
God wants friends. God wants people that will submit and surrender him to walk with him. L let me say something. God, the only person in the whole Bible that says was a man after God's own heart was David. If David faced consequences, how is it that you think that you and I won't? In other words, where do we get this idea from? Who poisoned you? What preacher on TV are you listening to that's poisoning you? They're not warning you. They're just telling you, yeah, great, you're blessed. No, you're going to have major consequences. And, and this is the, the perversion unleashed. Look, what, look at the perversion unleashed to the next generation. Now his sons are trying to sleep with their sister. What in the... That's not enough. Then the other son is trying to sleep with his dad's girls. His dad's hoes. I mean, that's crazy. That's concubines are. I mean, this is, this is literally like Jerry Springer. This is crazy. So it's possible to know God and still do what you want. But, but here's the thing. Doing what you want has consequences that are not worth it. They're not, it's not, I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you. Every, every, it's like every time I step here, I'm pleading with people. It's not worth it. You're get, it's a ripoff. We're getting played out. For, for what? A little bit of fun? That transgression was the reason he couldn't build the house of God. No, that transgression. God said to him, nope, you can't build the house because you have bloody hands. It wasn't talking about Goliath's blood. It was talking about innocent blood. A loyal and faithful man you killed because you couldn't keep your pants on. The end of sexual perversion is always violence. Now, the good news. Here's the good news. David was confronted. And David responded, I have sinned. So God said, you're forgiven. All good. We're still keeping you in the Bible. <laughs> I'm still going to say I'm the root and the offspring of David. I'm not going to be like, I'm the root and the offspring of Joseph. Like, he, he's still like, he, he's still good. I'm still good with you. But, but, here's the but. Big old but. <laughs> the but is that he has to now face the consequences. I'm going to say this again for the 15th time on purpose. It's like, anyone who tells you there's not consequences... Is not being honest with you. Read the fine print. There is consequences. There is cause and effect. There is. Like for example, Solomon had war. I mean, David, excuse me, had war. So Solomon could have peace. So that was, that was a benefit. Solomon was able to be established in prosperity because David had war. So, so your victories are a benefit to the next generation, but your sins, they, they affect things. And, and anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. I'm not repeating that any further. So now, let's talk about leaders. People who live with compromise will always shy away from confrontation because they don't feel confident. 
Compromise eats away at confidence because compromise has shame and guilt attached to it. People who live with guilt and shame are stuck in the past through deception and don't want to confront anything in the present. Leaders are always headed for a confrontation with complacency. In the kingdom of God, there is only one direction, and that is forward. To move forward means to confront our own comfort zone and the comfort zones of those who are following us. So that means that if you follow Jesus, it's going gonna, it's gonna to encroach upon your wife's comfort. If your wife follows Jesus, the other day, my, my wife, I've been praying, God, open the door for my wife. Yeah, beautiful, cute, that's awesome. I'm watching four kids after I've been with kids all day long. I'm ready to duct tape them. In the house of the Lord. Yeah, I'm like, Sarah's playing the viola, and, she, and I'm looking at her like, but I prayed for the Lord to open doors and to use her gift and for it to bless people and for her to make money off of it and for it to be a blessing to everybody. And it, yeah, it is. But I'm watching four kids. After I've been with kids all day. And I'm, if you know, I don't look like a kid person. If you can't tell that. Like, it's like, it's like I, when, I, when I go to homeschool events, it looks like I'm going to sell the homeschool mom's drugs. It looks crazy. I look, I look the most out of place person. It's crazy. It's like Waldo. Like, you know, I look so, I look so crazy. I look like an overgrown Waldo. It's not like, ah. Anyway, let's continue. We have to confront our comfort zone. You do not grow in your comfort zone. And your calling, you will not fulfill your calling in your comfort zone. Your calling will constantly pull you out of your comfort zone. Constantly pull you out of your comfort zone. I'm going to tell you this God's honest truth. As a person, I am more of like an extroverted introvert. What does that mean? It means that I like to be left alone. It means that most people are not refreshing to me, if I'm honest. It doesn't mean I don't like you. It just means most people, I don't leave them energized and feeling, wow. I'm like, whew. <laughs> Eject. <laughs> right? So I love people. I would do whatever I can for the benefit of people. But me always doing a feelings check. How are you? That's outside of my normal personality because I just feel like you should be good. You live in America. You should be a grown-up adult. Your life is better than 8 billion people. You live in Bergen County, and any problems you have, you probably created them and chose them. So what do you want me to do for you if you don't read your Bible and pray? Amen. Preach. But now, the calling says, no, Adam. The folks need, how are you? <laughs> the folks need, you was kind, you was smart, you was important. The, the folks need, hey, are you, listen, we're here for you. Seriously, people need that. I need that, we need that as humans, that's important. But that's not in my comfort zone. 
You understand what I'm trying to say? So the calling of God will get you out of your comfort zone for the sake of people. Because God loves people. And people are more, are, more, are more important than me feeling comfortable being left alone for the day. That doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is his people. If a leader doesn't have a heart to confront what is dangerous to people, he or she doesn't deserve to lead. The priorities of leadership must be God first, then the people, then the leader's comfort zone. As leaders, our comfort zone is the least important factor in any equation that is for the kingdom. Your preferences could rob you from your purpose. I don't like long flights. I don't like this. I don't like that. I like okay, go nowhere, do nothing. Get no other experiences. Go to go to go to go to Dominican Republic 50 times. Never go anywhere else. Never do anything else. Just go there. No. You, if you're going to experience different things, you're going to experience long flights. You're going to experience bumpy roads. You're going to experience difficult people, difficult situations. I mean, it just takes time. It, it takes time. It, there's no other way. It, you, the calling of God will get you out of your car. I don't like to speak in public. Well, maybe if, if, once you have something to say, you'll, you'll be all right. I'm tired. Let God energize you. Let God breathe life into you. I'm feeling discouraged. I know. I've got a PhD. Get over it. Get healed. I, I, I get it. I get it. So now, David, here's, you know what's beautiful about this message? I don't have to close this message. Because it's, it's, David closed it. He closed it for me. His response to the Lord was he wrote Psalm 51. So instead of hiding you know, and, and, and secrecy. Oh, don't, 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 no, don't tell them I'm going through healing. Don't, 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 don't tell them I'm going through counseling. Don't, 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 just don't, don't, don't tell anyone. Let's pretend everything's okay. Let's cover it all up. No, no, no. David's like, cool, I want to write a hit song. Amen. Imagine monetizing on your pain. People doing it all the time. That's what rap is. That's what rock and roll is. David lost the secret place, which led to him neglecting his responsibility to lead. David was not where he was supposed to be, which gave him the opportunity to do what he wasn't supposed to do. That's why the safest place you can be is in the will of God. Your will is not safer. God's will is safer. Instead of confessing, he covered up. Instead of using power to make things right, he killed a loyal and innocent man. You know what he could have did? He could have been like, listen, bro. I'm really sorry, man. I messed up. I banged your wife, bro. I'm really sorry. But I've got a lot of girls. He did. This is real life. I mean, I know that this is hard to explain, but... He's got a lot of women in his palace, and he's got a lot of money. You know what he could have said? Listen, bro, my bad. You can have a few wives, and I'll build you a house, and I'll, I will, like, pay you because you're loyal, and I, and I messed up. I'm sorry, bro. It wasn't you. It wasn't her. It was me. He could have made restitution. Zacchaeus made restitution. 
No, no, he could have made, I'm sorry, he could have made restitution. He could have repented. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and the Bible. It's just me and the internet. No, you're going to get into deception like that. He needed, the man that created the worship and prayer movement needed to be confronted to his face by someone he appointed. That's a whole other thing. He needed to be confronted. David, the man after God's own heart. You know, because David repented, you know what God spoke to, God spoke to Solomon? He said, if you walk before me with integrity like your father David. Do you know that with God he got his integrity back because he repented? So when I say there's no shame, I mean it. I didn't say there's no consequences. You don't have to live in shame even if you're battling through consequences that you, that you have helped bring upon yourself. I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there. I have done things that have brought consequences and the Lord freed me from it and I won't do it again and I don't have shame in it, but yet you're, 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 you're climbing out of it. You're learning from it. You don't have to carry the shame once you've been forgiven because you can't deal with the situation with shame. You have to deal with the situation from forgiveness and then you can manage and handle the consequences once you've been forgiven. Because everything changes when you're forgiven, but there still is consequences. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that this is helpful for somebody. Okay, now, the crazy thing is, the man's name, Uriah, you know what Uriah means? It means flame of jaw. So, when his fire, when David's fire went out, <laughs> he put someone else's fire out too. <laughs> you, you know what Bathsheba means? Covenant of an oath. And, and the second child, even in David's biggest mistake, there was redemption. That second child, after the first one died, that second one sat on the throne. Because even from your mistakes, there's redemption. God is faithful. God is good. But there is consequences. That's a holistic approach to Scripture. When you are not right with God, you hurt the people you are supposed to help, serve, and lead. I had a conversation with Isaac the other day, and I said, we can't help everybody. We can't. Rescue is not for everybody. I'm not for everybody, and you're not for everybody. But we don't want to hurt people. We're not, we're not going to hurt people here. We're not hurting people. David was confronted by Nathan, the prophet. David confessed, but there was still consequences. David killed an innocent and loyal man. David and Bathsheba's child died. Judgment was pronounced on the house of David, and he paid for his perversion and violence several ways. How did he pay for his perversion? I want to show you this. He paid for his perversion because his sons slept with his daughters, that's their generation, and then his sons try to sleep with their dad's concubines and in the sight of all of Israel. So what he did secretly was rewarded openly. Whatever you do secretly will be rewarded openly. 
The same way he killed a lion and a bear secretly, and then he killed Goliath publicly. He was rewarded openly. He sang the praises of God. Israel sang, David has killed his thousands. Uh, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. You sing the praises of God, God will cause people to sing your praises. But if you do the Bathsheba vibe, you're going on the news. So it's going to happen. It's going to be on screen. Just so you know, don't think that it's not going to come out. And I'm not accusing anyone of anything, just so you know. I'm just saying live in such a way where understanding that we live in a screenshot generation where a screenshot is forever. Now, what about violence? Violence, the sword didn't depart from his house. Right after that, right after Solomon became king, Israel was divided. Right after Solomon died, Israel was divided north and south. If a leader is divided, if a leader is double-minded, that's what he'll produce. We always produce what we are. It, Jose got me. Praise the Lord. Now, if, you, if, you, if God shows you something wrong, thank him. Amen. Thank Jesus. Because that's an invitation. You don't have to live in deception. You don't have to live in darkness. You don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to be an orphan. You're a son. You're a daughter. You can find healing through repentance, through confession, through humility, through accountability. There's healing. And you don't have to live with the shame. You don't have to live with the shame even as you battle the consequences. Because there will be consequences. But battling those consequences with shame is really <laughs> it's really difficult. Now, those consequences are going to be difficult anyway. You don't want them to be more difficult because of shame. That's why there's forgiveness with the Lord. L read, let me read Psalm 51 to you, and, and then we're done. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David understood that if God did not judge him, he would not be just. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, I reproduced what I was born in. Remember? Remember when, when Samuel came to the house? You remember? Samuel came, he goes, you got any other sons? None of these guys are it. Yeah, there's a little boy out in the field. My mother conceived me in sin. See, that's why if you don't sever your connection to the past and to the transgressions of other people and to learned behavior, you could call it learned behavior, generational curse, it don't matter what you call it. What matters is you break its power in your life by not participating with the patterns. Because Jesus forgave you. Jesus died for you to be free. But you could still, like Judas, go and hang yourself if you want to. He doesn't want that for you. 
I don't want that for you. Let's continue. We're almost done. Praise the Lord. Behold, this is something about God. You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. When there is truth within you, there is wisdom within you. Truth gives wisdom. The world does not have wisdom. The world has knowledge. It doesn't have wisdom. That's why in a crisis, it's constantly a crisis to a crisis to a crisis. People who don't have wisdom are always in a crisis. <laughs> From crisis to crisis. From crisis to crisis to crisis because you don't have wisdom. Wisdom will get you out of a crisis. Wisdom will teach you how to build correctly so that when things shake, you don't. All right. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear your joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. You have hid your face from my sins and blot out, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Here it comes. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David wasn't saying, don't take my kingdom, don't take my wealth. He was saying, do not take your presence from me. Because it was straying from the presence of God that got him in that situation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your non-tithing spirit. Oh, I'm sorry. It says your generous spirit. Then I will reach transgressions. Your, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. So now, because I have been changed, I can teach other people. This is what David is saying. This is in his song. This is a life change for him. And sinners shall be converted. And, and that's what is needed in this day. Conversion, repentance, change, real transformation, not going back to the same bondage. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God. He, he wants to be delivered from guilt. Guilt will kill people. Guilt is how people get manipulated. When someone doesn't have guilt, you can't manipulate them. That's why they don't like you. Oh, you think you're better than us? No, I'm just not doing that. Ooh. I don't care. I, I, how you feel about how I live, it doesn't matter to me. Amen. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you did not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You did not delight in burnt offerings. It's not about sinning and then making a peace offering. It's not about living wickedly and then dumping money in to, eat, to, to ease your conscience. God wants you to live right. A lot of people, you know, you know a lot of people give to ease their conscience. That's another, that's another story. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get off that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. 
When, you, when, you, when someone is contrite, they are sorry for what they have done. They don't live in shame, but they are so sorry for what they've done, they won't do it again. They're not sorry they got caught. They're not sorry that they look crazy. They're sorry because of the pain and the shame and the sin and the contrition means you are convinced that you will go in the opposite direction. That's what it is to be contrite. This is old school Christianity. This is like I am not partnering with the devil monthly. I'm not a monthly partner in the devil's mission. I'm not a quarterly party in the devil's mission. I don't send an end of the year gift to Satan. I am not playing with you, bro. I'm not negotiating with you. I'm not participating with you. <laughs> Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem then you shall be pleased with sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. So the, the end, watch this, the end of forgiveness, the end of contrition, the end of righteousness is generosity and thanksgiving and praise. The end. You never have to ask a thankful person to give. You never have to shake a thankful person down for money. Never. That's always an issue of the heart. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. It's always an expression of the heart. It's never the head. It's always the heart. It's always the heart. It's never the head. When the heart gets infected, the head... And people use their head to run from what's in their heart. And if you don't watch out, it will come for you. And it came for David. And if I put myself in that position, it will come for me. And if you put yourself in that position, it will come for you. And anyone who puts himself in a frying pan will get burned. That's why you cannot lose the secret place. You need to focus on your assignment. You need to focus on what God is asking you to do. You need to focus. Maybe you say, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know my assignment. Okay, why don't we start with your responsibilities? Why don't we start with your responsibilities? What are you responsible for? You're responsible for your family, your wife, your husband, your kids. You're responsible to raise them in the fear of the Lord. You're responsible to read with them and to pray with them and to speak over them and to protect them and watch what goes into their... You're, 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 you, you have to nurture your marriage in Christ. You have to read the word. You have to get the word in you. What are you responsible for? Because if you're not faithful with your responsibilities, how are you going to help people with their problems? You can't help someone with, with, with their problems if you can't even handle your own business. It's just not going to happen. So before we get into calling Africa or here or running here and running there, I'm not into that because I've seen people sell this and run here and do that and in and out and, and they're, not, they're not even solid. They're, 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 they're like... I, 
I'm not into that. I'm into being solid and letting the Lord plant you and letting the Lord prosper you and letting the Lord heal you so what flows out of your life is natural. It's not, I'm going to pretend to be a Christian for a week. I'm not into that. So anyway, this is the last bit of good news. <laughs> People are like, we're finishing a little early, so don't judge me. So, so now, when I discover something is wrong, that's okay. This is Father saying, hey, I love you. I, I don't go to the chiropractor. And he goes, well, Adam, we got some, some uh, stuff out of alignment. Don't say that to me. How can you say that to me? What do you mean my vertebrae is not in the right place? You judge my vertebrae? Well, no, you, you came here for me to align you. Go to the dentist. They tell you you got 19 cavities, your teeth looking like you smoke a crack. And, and so then they say to you, well, we're going to clean you. We're going to... You're not offended with them. Like, oh, why did they do that to me? I'm okay the way I am. No, you're not okay the way you are. That's why you went to the dentist. <laughs> it's, it's like Joseph's cutting my hair. I just get up and walk out mid-haircut. I go, man, you give bad haircuts. No, he doesn't give bad haircuts. You didn't sit still. You didn't stay there. Who told you to get up and go? Deal with your offense. Don't get up and go. Every time you get offended, you're going to get up and go? If you get offended, deal with it. If I offend you, come talk to me. If someone else offends you, go talk to them. Deal with it. Don't, don't run. Don't be a runner. If you're going to be a runner, join Isaac, but don't be running. <laughs> so if God shows you something, thank him. Because God doesn't show us something about ourselves and go, well, you're stuck. <laughs> well, you're done. I'm done with you now because you're not perfect. No. He gave everything for us to be whole. So if he exposes something that is broken, it is with the sole intent to heal it. Amen. The sole intent is to heal it and to fix it and to bring restoration, not shame. Even if there's consequences, it's for restoration. And those consequences are actually, believe it or not, they are actually saying that we can trust God because he's righteous and just. And I could not trust someone who doesn't keep their word. I will only trust you as much as your integrity will permit me to trust you. I will not trust you any more than your integrity will allow me to trust you. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so committed to us getting well. And we thank you that you expose things in our life not to hurt us, not to damage us, but to wash us, to cleanse us, to heal us. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you didn't just give up on us and like, oh, these people are, I'm done. I'm going to a new church. <laughs> like, no, you, you stay with us, God. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm really thankful because you have been very patient with me, Lord. And so help us to have that love for people, have patience with people, but really allow you to work in our lives, in our families, in your church, in the world as ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.